Lord has interviewed different candidates. And when everything was said and done, we were all of one accord that we wanted to invite Pastor Wes Brown to be with us. As Tanya said on a trail sermon, she meant a trial sermon. But anyway, Wes has many years of experience, 30-some years plus. He has been in the East or the West District all that time. So Wes is actually coming back home. You know, in the other times we've had pastors here, some of the reasons they felt God led them to go back home. So they left us and they went back home. Well, we got somebody coming home. I'm hoping that God's leading him to come home. You know, he, He's been at uh, Shady Grove, Whistling Church. He's been at Bales Chapel over in Jamestown in the Triad. And he's been down in uh, Gastonia in that area with three or four. I think two or three churches, Firestone and Gastonia, Whistling. But anyway, he's a man of experience. And the best thing about it, too, he's got family living here. He's got daughter and grandchildren. So you guys know how grandchildren have an effect on you. You know, they're about one of the best things that can happen in your life. And to be close to your grandchildren and have access to them, I mean, I think God's talking. But anyway, Wes, if you would, come on up. And uh, Wes likes to play golf, too. That's one of the things I consider when, you know, his qualities. But he doesn't like to fish. Now, Terry, his wife, likes to fish, so she's filling that spot. So, but we thank them for taking uh, their time to visit with us all the way from California. They got in Friday night after midnight, I understand. And immediately went down to their daughters, and I don't know if they enjoyed the grandchildren then or not. They probably were up waiting on it. But we are very thankful to have him, and you guys listen to the sermon. You guys pray, and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Our lesson today was the Holy Spirit coming to the disciples to be with them after Jesus had led. So you guys depend on the Holy Spirit. We're looking for a leader of our church, and just let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you, and we're going to vote next uh, next Sunday. And also next Sunday, uh, uh, huh? yeah, Mark Class is going to be our interim pastor until, I hope God decides to move him uh, sooner, <laughs> sooner than later, but we'll see. You guys pray, and, and we're very thankful. <laughs> with us today and it's taking your time to come and be here and thank you Glenn. to give us the word of God. Thank you. thank you. Good morning. Thank you. It is a privilege to be here. We appreciate it and we thank you for your hospitality and uh, generosity to us and man you folks like to eat. I, I can hang out with folks like to eat. Now Griffin said y'all do this every Sunday so <laughs> so that's that's pretty that's pretty persuasive. But we're glad to be with you this morning, and uh, we're, we're praying for God's will and for your church as well as for His direction in our lives. We want to be where He wants us. And uh, so, but thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I don't know if anybody uh, here might remember Mythbusters on Discovery Channel. 
and uh, those fellows would uh, would bust myths and expose them for what they were. And I want to do that this morning because there's a an expression I've heard numerous times throughout my pastoral ministry, uh, and you might have even said it, and it goes something like this, preacher, God won't put more on us than what we can bear. You heard that? Have you said that? All right. God won't put more on us than what we can bear. Well, the Apostle Paul has something a little bit differently to say about that. I want to frame the context of the message with a video clip. Uh, it's from the movie Unbroken. Did anybody go see Unbroken? It's the story of Louis Zamparelli, an Italian-American who uh, very valiantly uh, fought World War II, uh, I guess was like a navigator on the plane uh, with what would have been called the Army Air Corps. Uh, the plane crashed. They were on, out on the sea for, oh gosh, many days, many, many days. It's amazing how they even survived. But this is a scene from the Japanese war camp. He was taken a, uh, as a POW during World War II. Uh, my dad fought World War II. He was in the European theater, and, uh, but this was from the Pacific theater. And this is in the prison camp. The commander is simply called the bird, and he's making life miserable for Louis Zamparelli. So let's watch what he had to bear in this brief clip from the movie Unbroken. huge beam on his shoulder. Come on, Brad. Come on, Louis. much like life. 
the trials and sufferings and difficulties that come our way, and it comes to all of us. It doesn't ask our permission. It doesn't seek our approval. It comes to us. But we kid ourselves if we believe that God won't put more on us than what we can bear. I'm going to ask you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. If you have your scriptures or on your smartphone, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is a personal testimony from the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Paul says to them, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. What did Paul know that we don't? He didn't say God won't put more on, but he said we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? The sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of God. You may be seated. You know, when difficulties and sufferings mount in our lives, it sounds compelling to maybe try to encourage ourselves by saying, well, God won't put more on me or put more on us than what we can bear. It reminds us of God's care. It reminds us of God's concern for us. And He does love us with an incredible, incredible love. But the idea that God will look out for us in the midst of life's difficulties, it's, it's true. But the misquoting of this poor misapplied scripture is in serious need of correction. What exactly does the Bible say on our journey of faith? In what realm of life will God not allow more on us than what we can bear? Well, according to Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is the accurate stating of what, Paul, what God won't put on us more than we can bear. Paul says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you bear. It doesn't say he won't put more on us than what we can bear, but not to be tempted beyond what we can bear. God knows how powerfully temptations are a part of our fallen nature and so he faithfully and graciously provides a way out of the overwhelming barrage that could suck any one of us into a black hole of sin. That's good news, isn't it? That God's on our side. Some of you will remember Muhammad Ali, the prettiest man who ever boxed. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Muhammad Ali had a corner man. Do you remember his name? Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee was in the corner. He was the trainer. He was, he was to Muhammad Ali what Burgess Meredith as Mick was to Rocky. Okay? He's in the corner. 
He's guiding him. He's, he's helping him. He's leading him. We have the Holy Spirit in our corner. Scripture says we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We have God on our side, and God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But nowhere in the Scripture does it just say in regards to the trials of life, the storms of life, and please understand this, everybody's either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or in a storm. If you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about. If you've lived long enough, you understand the truth of what I'm saying. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. It's a part of life. It's a very difficult and hurtful part of life. Of life. But it happens. But temptation isn't what people typically have in mind when they say, God won't put more on us than what we can bear. What people are typically referring to are the ongoing difficulties of daily life. It could be health issues, family issues, a rebellious child, financial reversal, employment needs, job loss, death, marriage, on and on. You know, the, the kind of things that add an overwhelming, an overbearing strain to life. And so when we say or when we think God won't put more on us than what we can bear, I think there are at least two errors in what I call an unbiblical notion that God won't put more on us than what we can bear. The two things that come to my mind are the fact, number one, first of all, is that it plays on a cultural idea of fairness. And second, it points a sufferer, a sufferer inward, looking in upon ourselves, rather than looking heavenward or looking to God as we ought to look. So let's address the question for just a few minutes. What is fair? What is fair? My wife and I have three adult children. When they were young, they carried slide rules and metric things with them and 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 and. and weights and measures and stuff because man when she poured the kool-aid everybody better have the same amount of kool-aid in their glass or it was mom you're not being fair or if it were another matter it could be dad that's not fair is it so we have this idea in our country that everything should be like a, a utopian level playing field there's only one place in life, either here or in the life to come, that the playing field's level, and it's at the foot of the cross. But life in this fallen, broken world is not level, and it's not fair. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do things to try to help make things more equitable for everybody. But it's just to understand that once life is over, everybody doesn't get a participant's trophy. Okay? <laughs> you know, life isn't fair. We don't want to be accused of being unfair, so we seek to develop a good grasp on fairness and, and how it should be dispensed. But let me remind you of something, or maybe make you aware of something that perhaps you don't know. God, who is the perfect parent, is not always fair. Is he? Did Jesus heal everybody? In his three and a half years of earth, he did not. Did he, did he, now Jesus wrecked some funerals. He raised some people from the dead. Lazarus was one of those. But did Jesus raise everybody from the dead that he came across? He did not. 
Did Jesus feed everybody everywhere along the way? He did not. As far as we know, there were two feedings, right? One for the 5,000 and one for the 4,000. But he didn't feed everybody coming along. God is not fair. That's his sovereign declaration. He says in the scripture, Paul, it says in Romans 9, 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, if, if you think that I'm, I'm wrong in what I'm telling you, I would just encourage you to go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. It's the great hall of faith. All of these people are named and their, their exploits and some of the great things that they did by faith in God. It talks about Abraham by faith, Noah by faith, these different people, these great men and women of God and what they did by faith. But as you go down the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you will notice this, that some of them were delivered. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into the fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter because they would not bow to that great statue, that great gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he said when the praise band plays, everybody better be bottoms up. You better worship me. And all of them did but three Hebrew boys. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And he said, maybe you didn't hear me. Maybe you didn't understand me. But when the praise band plays, you better bow or you're going to burn. Worship or burn. That's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Well, maybe not so easy, but I mean, but it's pretty simple. One of two things. And they just said, oh, king, our God is able to deliver us. We don't know what he might be pleased to do, but we're not going to bow to your idol. They chose obedience. Obedience. They would only worship one, and that's the God of the universe. And so he was furious, and he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter. And the very guards that took them to throw them into the fire were consumed by the heat of the furnace. But they didn't burn, did they? God delivered them. Nebuchadnezzar was sitting there. He had his snacks. You know, he had like a box seat, and he's watching this, and he gets up and he goes, wait a minute. Weren't there three that we threw into the fire? I see four men walking in the fire, and one looks like a son of God. And he called them out. God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there were others that did not get delivered. Of the 12 that followed Jesus, one committed suicide, Judas, if you remember that story. That left 11. Only one of the 11 died a natural death. That was John, who died of old age. But 10 of the followers of Jesus died horrible deaths simply because they would not bow to Caesar and because they would not recant that they had seen the risen Christ. But God didn't deliver them. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were drawn and quartered terribly, excruciating, painful methods of death. So tell me that God is fair as we understand fairness. But here's what we need to understand. We're in grave error if we believe we know better than God about what fairness looks like. 
especially when it comes to our situation. God transcends the human categories of fairness to such a degree that you and I have no viable position to objectively, properly evaluate his actions or to weigh his perfect will. Anybody remember Job and all that Job suffered? I mean, Job lost all ten of his children in one day. Boom. All ten children. Lost his herd, lost his flock, lost everything he had. The wealthiest man in the east at the time. And all of it gone in one day. And Job went through an intense period of struggle and searching. And then he had three friends show up. And they did really good the first week because they never opened their mouth. <laughs> but they blew it after the first week, didn't they? And they made life miserable for Job. But Job went through this intense period of trying to figure all of this out because he was a righteous man. God acknowledged that even before Satan, who came to present himself before the heavenly throne. God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. He's blameless. I have no one like him. And Satan said, no wonder you keep a hedge around him. Let me at him, and we'll see if he continues to worship God, if he continues to trust in God. But he did, didn't he? But Job came to the end of the way, and in the last chapter of his book, Job began, began to understand that what he thought he knew of God and what God revealed to him in his sufferings were two different things. And this was Job's conclusion. He said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, that's what God can accomplish through our trials and through our difficulties and through our sufferings. I'm not saying we're going to like it. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt like the dickens. I'm not saying we're going to understand it or agree with it. But God can make us better and God can draw us more closely to Him. But you and I can never hope to measure the fairness of God. And then secondly, there's an unholy introspection. I said if we're not careful, suffering will tend to cause us to look inward rather than upward if we're not ready. There's never a good time for our lives to be wrecked. But if we give serious credence to this belief that God won't put more on us than what we can bear, it falsely suggests that you and I have whatever it takes within ourselves to bear whatever life throws our way. How many of you know that's just not true? I can't tell you the wonderful testimonies of some of the saints of God I've pastored through the years that said, you know, Pastor, I look back on my life, and had it not been for God's presence, had it not been for God's strength, had it not been for God's grace, had it not been for the peace of God, I think I would have probably lost my mind. Or I'm not sure what I may have done had it not been for God. But let's don't kid ourselves to think that you and I have what it takes to face in and of ourselves what life throws at us. We don't. We don't. It's okay to just say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't handle this on my own. You know, people will come up to us, well, you know, you're facing this situation. Well, what are you going to do about it? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, have you got a plan? I'm praying. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm calling on the Lord. I'm, I'm talking to other mature believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
but I can't say that I know. But listen, looking inward rather than Godward isn't biblical. It's a misguided American cultural belief. It stems from the American ideal of self-reliance. We want to be John Wayne Christians, we think. We're tough. We're strong. We pulled ourselves up. We made our own way. We built this with our two hands. Oh, no, we didn't. God's been with us and helped us all the way, hadn't he? All along the way, God has been with us. Trials and suffering come in all shapes, forms, and sizes, but they don't inflict us to show how much we can take or that we necessarily have it all together. And I think when difficulties and sufferings mount in our lives, let's just be honest enough to admit that we don't have to, uh, what it takes to bear it, and that's okay. That's just one of the reasons that there's a cross that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, 5, by His stripes we are healed. Isaiah says that He took our punishment upon Him. He who committed no sin, Jesus was holy, harmless, perfect, and undefiled according to Hebrews 7, 25. It wasn't for His sins that He died. It was for our sins. And don't you dare walk out of this church on any given day thinking, well, we were just kind of uh, parking offenders. You know, we've got a parking ticket or whatever. No, we're capital offenders. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross, and it was his love for us that kept him there. His love for us. You know, it's interesting. Those religious leaders, Satan whispering in and through them, Oh, if he were the Son of God, he would save himself. Oh, he could have saved himself. He reminded, he said, I could call 10,000 angels and destroy this world and set me free. But he didn't do that, did he? He bore the humiliation and the pain and the sin and the shame of the cross so that he might identify with us whatever we find ourselves going through in life. Aren't you glad for a Savior that can sympathize? Aren't you glad for a Savior who cares? Aren't you glad for a Savior who's right by our side on whatever it is that we're going through in life wants to drive a nail in our coffin? The Apostle Paul in our letter here that I read in your hearing this morning Recall just one of many times that God gave him far more than he could bear. Look at verse 8 again, will you? Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. He said, we were under great pressure. Notice that adjective qualifier there, the adjective great, great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Hey, that's being between a rock and a hard place, isn't it? That's a tough place to be. Paul said, we, we want you to be aware of that, man. We don't want you guys to be ignorant. You know, think, oh, man, they were just on some kind of uh, Mediterranean cruise on the Big Red One. Man, they were getting hammered. I mean, Satan will do whatever he can to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He tried to take out Daniel. He tried to take out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He tried to take out the Apostle Paul. Read 2 Corinthians 4 sometime. Read 2 Corinthians 9. All of the things that the Apostle suffered for seeking to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost ends of the earth. I've had a number of people say to me in the church as I pastor, you know, pastor, I've never been persecuted before. Well, get out here and share your faith with somebody. And then you'll find yourselves on square with the devil. Because if we're not doing the work of God, if we're not seeking to carry out the will of God, he won't bother us. I've often wondered in my lifetime if the devil doesn't sit on the very front row of a lot of churches shouting the loudest amen because the church is all inward focused and it's all about us and me and my and ours and it's not an outward focus to reach our communities and to reach the world for Christ. But you get to share in your faith, Satan will come after you. But that's all right. First John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said to the Philippians. But Paul says that things were so bad in verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. My wife and I are Dateline fans. I don't know why, because we watch it, and then we go to bed, and I'm laying there thinking, <laughs> Are our neighbors killing us? Are they watching? You know, is there someone in the closet? <laughs> is there someone, you know? But oftentimes those folks on Dateline, you know, a, a person will receive the death sentence. And I'm thinking, man, what kind of, and sometimes you're going, you know, I don't know. And, and it's not very convincing in the plot line of the thing, of, you know, the journalistic thing of what they're trying to figure out. You're thinking, I think that person may be innocent. What if they're putting an innocent person to death? You know that happens. That happens. Very sadly to say. Paul said, we felt like we'd received a sentence of death. Paul didn't say, we don't feel like God put more on us than we could bear. Paul said, we felt like we had received the guilty verdict and we were going to the gas chamber or the electric chair or the hangman's noose or the firing squad. A death sentence. That's how bad things were for whatever was happening to Paul and his companions. The Greek word for pressure there in, in verse 8, he says, we're under great pressure, is the Greek word slipsis. And slipsis was used to depict a criminal, okay, they've been convicted of their crime, and a criminal who was tied up with a rope, hands tied up with a rope, feet tied up with a rope, laid on their back, and then a huge boulder was slowly lowered upon their body until it crushed them. That's a pretty horrible way to die, isn't it? That's the word for pressure that Paul said they felt they were under in the province of Asia. But he says great pressure. Great pressure. Paul says we were under an abnormal amount of pressure that was far beyond anything that was typical. It was excessive. It was unbelievable. It was unbearable and far too much for any one human being could bear. Why would God allow this in Paul's life? Why does God allow this in your life and in my life? I think there are at least two reasons. Paul says, first of all, he says, one was to make us rely not on ourselves, 
but on God who does what? Who raises the dead. Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Hey, you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this assembly this morning, we are the people of hope. Easter's coming. We're the people of hope. Do you understand, dear friends, how pervasive a sense of hopelessness is in our culture today, in our country today? People feel hopeless with what's going on. You know, we look around, and if we weren't careful, if you, if you watch too much news, and please don't, please turn it off, it's filled with fear and negativity and divisiveness, you would think the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket, and God's left the throne, and he's nowhere to be found, and we're just in an awful way. Let me remind you that God is on the throne. History is going somewhere, and Jesus said you will hear of wars and rumors of war and all of these things, and he said when you do so, he said stand up and look up for your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is coming. And it's way closer than it's ever been. He's coming, folks. But this old world's getting ready to reel and rock. It has before. Some of you are old enough to remember some of the things. My grandparents were born in the early part of the 20th century, and they lived through some terrible stuff. But even my mom and dad, my parents were born in 1927. Dirt, scrap, or poor. There wasn't no privilege where they grew up. My dad's parents were sharecroppers. Sharecroppers. 1929, the Great Depression struck. My dad told me that in 1938, when people were saying, yay, the Depression's over, he said, well, our family literally almost starved to death. Why? The country went into a deep recession. 1938. They lived through World War II. Over 100 million people killed in World War II. Civilians and military people. Upward of 100 million. Europe destroyed. Japan destroyed. Difficult times. But Jesus said nothing could compare to the tribulation that's coming. But God said, I will shake the heavens and the earth. But what remains will be of the unshakable kingdom of God. Aren't you glad to be a son or daughter of the living God today? There's a second reason that God gave Paul and his apostle or his uh, disciples more than they could bear. Paul said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's from God. It's the Holy Spirit strengthening us, living in us, dwelling in us, helping us, giving us joy, giving us peace beyond measure. The truth is, life in general is much more than we can bear, isn't it? Much more than we can bear. But God will not put more on us than what He can handle through us. I saw a uh, I, I like these sayings, you know, and I saw one fairly recently that said, if God brought you to it, God will bring you through it. Isn't that true? He said in Isaiah 43, he said, when you walk through the waters, 
God didn't say, I'm never going to put it unless you go through. He said, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. God said, when you go through the fire. He didn't say, I'm going to keep you from the fire. God said, you're going to go through the fire. But he said, I'm with you. I'm with you. It doesn't get any better than that. God doesn't give us what we can handle, but he graciously helps us handle what we're given. Doesn't he, child of God? Mankind is all about fairness and self-reliance while God is all about his glory. More than who can bear, God gave Moses a million impossible to please travelers. I would not have wanted to pastor that church. Every time Moses turned around, they were complaining and grumbling. Man, I was reading the other day in the book of Numbers, man, Moses was frustrated and he kind of lit into God and he's like, I didn't birth these people. I don't know these people. I don't want these people. You put these people on me. He wasn't, you know, he's like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. They were always going, oh, we remember how good we had it back in Egypt. Really? Really? When they took the straw away from your brick making? When they beat your back with whips? Really? Oh, you had it good in Egypt, didn't you? You never got rest. He put Elijah's back against the wall. He had ravens feed Elijah. Now I used to like birds when I was a kid, and then I became an adult, and we got West Nile virus. I'm thinking birds are nasty. I don't think they're pretty anymore. They're nasty. They're germ-carrying. Ravens, these unclean birds, fed the prophet Elijah. And then he didn't send Elijah when the brook dried up. You remember Elijah prophesied, God said there's not going to be any rain till I say so. And so when the brook dried up where he was getting his water from, God said, I want you to go see a widow in Zarephath and Sidon. He didn't send him to a Gentile widow. And the widows were the poorest of the poor in the Old Testament. They didn't have government subsidy. They didn't have family and people typically looking out for them. They, they had it uh, just so terribly very difficult to run. But he didn't send him to a Jewish widow. He sent him to a Gentile widow. And I just see Elijah going, Really? He put his back against the wall. We've already mentioned Job. How about Job and all that he suffered? God put a 10-foot giant in David's way, didn't he? Named Goliath. Man, nobody was dunking on that boy. Nine feet tall, six inches tall, and a tremendous warrior. God whittled Gideon's army from 32,000 men to only 300 while facing an opposing coalition of 125,000 men. Don't wait for the movie. Read the book. God put Gideon's back against the wall. 300 against 125,000. But hey, you know what? God in one make a majority. He strapped a Roman cross upon the back of his own son, didn't he? Jesus later tasked the apostles with spreading the gospel around the world. The Lord allowed the apostle Paul to suffer beating, shipwreck, stoning, robbery, and false accusations, and he'll give you way more than you can handle too. You can say amen to that. That's all right. <laughs> the point isn't that we should despair. The point is rather for us to surrender to God's leading and the availability of God's supernatural power and strength. Isaiah said he gives strength to the weary and he increases 
the power of the weak. God said in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And Paul speaks to God's deliverance in our text in verses 10 and 11. Paul said, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Listen, that's great news for you and I. God's delivering power is yours. He's delivered you in the past. He delivers you in the present. He will deliver you and rescue you in the future. He asks us to lean into him and to stay put right where we are, refusing to move, rejecting every temptation to give up, and deciding never to give in to the pressure that the devil wants to pile on top of us. Because he's the thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, isn't he? There will come times of hardship in your life, which is more than you could ever, ever, ever hope to bear. You know this is true. Like Paul, you might even feel like you're going to die under the load. Some of the Old Testament saints were so overwhelmed, they even asked to die. Job asked to die. Moses asked to die. Elijah prayed to die. Jonah wanted to die. I mean, these are people, they have books of the Bible. I mean, these are saints of God that are in heaven that we look up to. But they reached a point in life where things were so tough, they wanted to die. Thank God for their honesty. Thank God for the veracity, the integrity of the Scripture that helps us to see life is more than we can bear. But we serve a God who will bear us up. And we serve a God who will deliver us. The God who delivers, the God who strengthens, the God who raises the dead will not allow the descending boulder of life's pressure to crush us like it did the criminals under ancient Rome. The scriptures give us this assurance. God says the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Listen, let me just invite you to encourage you to trust in God, to walk in the way of faith, to walk by grace, to walk according to the word. It's not an easy way. But by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and the indwelling presence of God's Spirit, it's the blessed way and it's the best way. God bless you. Let's stand together. Father, as we prepare to conclude this service, we just want to thank you for your word. Lord, your word is life and it is light. It instructs us. It helps us, Lord. It corrects our thinking. Lord, it corrects our mindset. And so I pray today, Lord, that someone, Father, has been instructed, that someone has been encouraged, that someone perhaps has been corrected, Lord. But, Lord, you do it not out of condemnation or to force guilt or shame upon us. You do it out of your great, incredible love, Lord, that we might continue to be healed and transformed on our journey of faith. Lord, walking after Christ, walking in the Spirit, and, Father, for all you do in that, Lord, we thank you and praise you. And, Father, thank you that in the terrible valleys of life, Lord, in the dark of fate, in the storms that seem to threaten our very existence, to know that Jesus is in our boat, that Christ is with us, that, Lord, you will help us, you will handle 
Lord, what that that we've been given, Lord, that otherwise would crush us and overwhelm us, Lord. So, Father, thank you for caring for us and loving us so personally and so intimately. We love you. We praise you. We're thankful daily for all that you've brought us through and all that you will bring us through, Lord. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When all around our hope gives way, he then is all our hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock we stand this morning. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.